Just when you thought it was safe to go back out in the street, here we are again. And this is Rich Buckland. It's never safe. It's never safe. This is Rich Buckland with my beautiful partner, Bill Mesnick, looking right at him in uh, California, 3,000 miles away, but through the wonder of technology, like he's right here with me. <laughs> as long as we can figure out the technology. As long as we can figure fine. out. Yeah, yeah, I know. Being, you know, as you hit a certain age, you forget to to put a certain wire in a certain place and suddenly you got no sound. So, you know, we're dealing with this for 10 minutes and realizing there's something, there's an aptitude that's being lost on my part, but uh, that's but been happening. But the strength is in the passion. There's, thank you so much, my friend. I love it. And speaking of passion, so I remember being like, what, 12 years old? And there's a record that comes on WMCA, Dandy Dan Daniels. And there's this voice, this beautiful, beautiful young voice. And she's asking, remember walking in the sand. That plea and Diana Ross requesting, where did our love go in her mournful desire? This is where it starts. This is where it starts for an understanding of loneliness and uh, and uh, compassion and musical beauty and a number of things. So this triggered a great deal. Therefore, let's talk about the Shangri-Las. Shangri-Las. And um, yes, they were named after a restaurant. Did you know that? No, I did not. Yes, the name, the Shangri-Las, came from a restaurant in Queens, and uh, these were Queen's girls, and, and we're Queen's boys, and this is a natural, a natural love story. Yes, sir. Bayside, Bayside, Queen's. I was born in the Bronx, but moved to Bayside at a very young age, and uh, this is where you and I uh, established our relationship almost 50 years ago. Yeah, they, uh, they, uh, the girls uh, of the Shangri-Las, Mary Weiss, and the twin sisters, Marge and Marianne Ganser. And for a while, Betty Weiss, the older sister. Right. But then it. they became a trio. And um, I, in an interview, Mary Weiss said that she was uh, inspired by the Everly Brothers that she went to see at Freedom Land. Remember Freedom Land? Oh, I love that place. That was <laughs> <laughs> Freedom Land. It was like the greatest amusement park in the world. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it was uh, they were. She insisted they were a harmony-oriented group, um, uh, but certainly she emerged as the uh, the front girl and the uh, the actual the iconic center uh, for for that group. Now, what's 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 interesting to me is uh, you know Mary Weiss. Mary Weiss. Yeah, I mean, here's the, this this voice was was so plaintive and so mournful and and had such desire in it. Uh, and it, it leads to the story of George Shadow Morton, who became a record producer of renown pretty much due to them and the ability of Redbird Records to take a, a shot. Uh, now, Redbird Records, uh, this is a brief segue here. Cause I don't want to get too far down the path because it's a story in and of itself. Because right. you and I have talked... Uh, a lot about George Goldner 
and Redbird, and you have a collection that you uh, offer on your um, record label the of Redbird Records. And this was a girl group record uh, label that only really lasted from 64 to 66 when Goldner had to, because he had all these debts and Lieber and Stoller sold him the 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 the, the label for a dollar and then he had to liquidate because he owed all this money to the mob. So this is a whole other story. Yeah, but, but Red, talk about Redbird just briefly. Well, they made this they made this impact with these with these girl groups, what were known as girl groups at the time, the Jelly Beans, uh, uh, Dixie Cups, Dixie Cups, uh, artists like Evie Sands who was a wonderful vocalist and really never got her, I believe, her just due, uh, but had some great material written by Chip Taylor. Um, the ad-libs. I mean, such great records. Yeah, I mean, this is stuff that as you take a look in the archive, in the Redbird archive, short-lived but amazing impact and really, really beginning with this particular recording, Remember Walking in the Sand, which was originally a seven-minute recording with Billy Joel playing piano on the original demo. That blew my mind. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it makes perfect sense. And when we talk later in a couple of minutes about the influences, they go right down the line with Billy Joel and Elton John and all those, and um, Jim Steinman. Yeah, Jim Steinman. And but these were like operas. Yes, yeah. It was lavish. It was orchestrated. There were sound effects. It, I mean, it threw in everything to create this emotional teenage stew, which was predicated on the formula that Phil Spector had uh, intrigued Brian Wilson with, with the very first play of Be My Baby. That was the transformative moment for Brian Wilson. And that's true. That Phil Spector, teenage angst, had made such an impact on George Morton that he could not help but want to take this to a level that was that that was new. And I believe with Remember Walking in the Sand and Give Him a Great Big Kiss, which had another element of there was more fun to that. Uh, and but the and biggie was leader of the pack. Was leader was of not? the pack. So here. <laughs> Which was, which was uh, parodied in a record that was also popular at the time called "Leader of the Laundromat." Which, interestingly, was also written by Ellie Greenwich. By Ellie Greenwich. She wrote both. Yes, she wrote both. So, she both wrote Leader of the Pack. That was a big hit. Then she wrote her own parody. So here's a club. This is a real club. It's And it's a boys and yes. girls club. But the opportunities that Ellie Greenwich had and Mary Weiss had and Carol King had were presented on a platter at a time when uh, there was an understanding culturally of what to do with this. Um, of course, everything is 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 a whole different ballgame now. But then I think it was really... Uh, revolutionary in in the impact that these women had, particularly these young women, in attempting to keep the peace as the British invasion was flowing through. 
Exactly, and and these girls toured with the Beatles. Yes, they toured with the Beatles. How, how, In the fall of 1964. How amazing is that? I mean, I think everybody wound up touring with the Beatles because they needed backup acts as they came here and played all these extraordinary programs. But, um, uh, you know, George Morton was obsessed with death, and he loved the idea of, quote, the death disc, like... Peterson, right. Ray Peterson's Teller, I Love Her, and of course, uh, Jan Teen Dennis, Angel. Teen Angel, Dead Man's Curve, uh, Wayne Cochran's Still, and I, I listen to Eddie Vedder's uh, performance of Last Kiss, and I think to myself, this is really an iconic tune. not been given its credit in the top 10. Uh, yeah, and uh, Joey Reynolds. And all that, all that came out of, I think, the 50s with, because um, Tell Laura I Love Her was in 1960 that Jeff Barry also was associated with. And once again, right? here we go with, yeah, with the entire the Ellie Ellie Greenwich's husband and partner. Right. Right. And, um, but all of those 50s teen angst things like Rebel Without a Cause and, and Blackboard Jungle and Catcher in the Rye, we, there was this love of teenage melodrama and angst. Yeah, uh, you know, you, I think Bill Haley is given too much credit for having started this alleged teenage revolution with Rock Around the Clock because of its impact in uh, Blackboard Jungle as being the theme song for Blackboard Jungle. Right. But what it did do is it it allowed a signature, this juvenile delinquent signature that Jerry Lewis even parodied in The Delicate Delinquent. Um, <laughs> it had but such, James, James Dean was the, the, the icon of well, that. Well, of, of course. And he was... That's another story altogether, what Nicholas Ray did in Rebel Without a Cause and then what Ilya Kazan did with him in East of Eden are bookends of the same angst of this lost youth and the reasons for it. Of course, in East of Eden, we understand the reasons for getting lost. In Rebel Without a Cause, you got Jim Backus with the apron on and uh, <laughs> he tells his father to stand up and smack his mother in the face is, is what it evidently sounds like in this and I just saw the movie recently. Of course, it still stands up, but um, it, but the girl groups sort of sort of carried the flag forward through the help of of, of Shadow Morton and, and creating these operas that really did um, uh, compete against the onslaught of the Beatles, as you as you so wisely pointed out and also i have to i have to tell you that you know you know one of the first probably the first rock and roll show i ever saw was chuck berry at carnegie hall but then murray the k uh had his brooklyn fox shows and it's where i had the opportunity to see mary weiss on these bills with gene pitney and uh a variety of other artists 
And there were no English groups. On the, those were all dedicated to American groups. The Shirelles, yeah. uh, Randy and the Rainbows, the Dovells, Murray had a passion. And the M Murray Kaufman is another story altogether. And one day we should get to him. But absolutely, what I what I'm what I'm pursuing here is having had the opportunity to actually see them on stage, all four of them in that earliest incarnation with this big backup band, which had horns and no strings, uh, but still being able to send the message of a song like Remember Walking in the Sand. When I say I'm in love, you best believe I'm in love, And of course, after you know, after '66, the deal pretty much was over, and uh, you know, Redbird's records had folded. There was no more Redbird, and uh, they had an identity that could not be translated to anything else. So it was pretty much a uh, pretty much a done deal. But Mary had a revival of her career with Norton Records, uh, and and Norton, for those who are not familiar, is a label that released. Everything from uh, the Joey Ross tribute memorial album to all of these demos uh, that came from garage bands, uh, hundreds and hundreds of garage bands over the uh, during the sixties. And she and had, in that in that revival period, um, so many uh, of the big artists at the time uh, were influenced by by them and. Um, Lenny Kay was uh, was instrumental in, you know, putting a performance together at CBGB's uh, for the Shangri-Las in the uh, '70s. Seymour Stein of Sire Records. Um, so all she the punk uh, legacy was very strong with them, and that was part of the Norton thing as well. But it's there was a one of the things that I. Um, came upon was an, an interview with the Shangri-Las in the 80s when someone else was using their name and um, Inside they were Edition suing. yeah the, the, what? The, it's a, it was a TV show called Inside Edition that yes. promoted the story and really gave it some some legs so uh, yeah so they were yeah. sort of catapulted back into the public uh, consciousness and would say we're still here you know, we're still around. We haven't been using the name. But then this other guy said, well, he said, well, I uh, I looked in the records and no one owned the name. So uh, I'm not doing anything illegal. <laughs> but uh, uh, I guess they sued and won. Yeah, they didn't. They never trademarked their name and they suggested that they never really had to. Uh, 
um, because they were who they were. But law is law. And I believe it was uh, Rick Fox, notorious producer, who... Uh, that was the guy, yeah. Yeah, Rick Fox. He and was interesting. He was funny. He was he was ridiculous because I remember in 2008, they tried to bring the Shangri-Las to a VFW hall in Yonkers. I was living at the time, and I knew automatically these cannot be the original Shangri-Las. They were young young women. They were young women. Younger women. They were, yeah, v- much younger women. And yes. they're calling that, they're saying, and these are the songs we made famous. Right, so right. this is a level of fraud that, uh, you know, they could have just gone out as a Shangri-Las tribute band. Exactly. But I don't think in those days uh, they really had tribute bands. No, they didn't. They didn't. You this had is a to... more recent development. Yeah, and over the course of years, we've seen it in, in, in who are the real drifters, for example. You had right. you have all these groups going out on the road with, uh, you know, <laughs> members that were never original members of the drifters, or the temptations, or it goes on and on and on. But uh, I think the legacy of the Shangri-Las is one of, uh, of uh, youthful passion that certainly triggered a great deal of uh, of <laughs> suggestive notions for a 12-year-old kid and then put it into more than a sensual or erotic perception. It was the understanding that this music flowed through to identify loneliness and to identify a longing uh, that could only suggest what was about to come as teenageism set in. Boy, did we find out. Yeah, and, and above all of that was she she had a great voice. Oh, she had a voice, And, yeah, and yeah. when she came back with Norton Records and was promoting that uh, that album in what year was that? 2004, was it? I believe 2007. 2007 yeah. 2007, uh, backed by Garage Rockers, The Raining Sound, titled Dangerous Game, she still sounded great. Yeah. And she has had a successful career as a uh, interior designer, uh, a passion she'd carried with her, and was able to uh, to 
find a successful career in. Uh, so she was able to make that transition from uh, from teenage rock star to the adult world and then back around again into uh, accommodating the memories of uh, of those who remember those records and wanting to see her live once again. Yeah, I mean, and the influence, as I said before, uh, the New York Dolls, Blondie, the Go-Go's uh, did... I remember walking in the sand, um, New York Dolls, um, Johnny Thunders, Ian Savonius, uh, Ryan Adams, Julian Cope. Leader of Pack was performed by Bette Midler. Well, look, uh, when, just when, on and on and on. Yeah, but when David Johansson said, uh, "When I say I'm in love, you best believe I'm in love," LUV, it reopened that entire door to understanding. Uh, the nature of, of, of their impact uh, just with that one with that one phrase and uh, if you go to dig this our website you'll see that clip of the Shangri-Las performing give them a great big kiss so and it yeah. goes all the way to Amy Winehouse and it goes all yes it does it does so I think the uh, black lips sonic youth bad for lashes I mean God on and on yeah and I don't think that the I don't think that the attachment is made in popular culture to how important they, they, they really were and really still are in the culture and what they, what they were able to, uh, to provide. It was a identity for young women and it was a freedom and it was an ability for young males to be able to understand if they were listening, the longing of the the ideas of of these young women that they might one day be trying to woo. What do women <laughs> What do women want? Well, you know, I mean, what do young girls want? What you know? Remember walking in the sand. It's it's this desire to be loved. It's everything everybody ever. It's the prescription for life itself. Past. Past. Well, now, let me tell you about the past. The past is filled with silent joys and broken toys, laughing girls and teasing boys. Was I ever in love? I called it love. I mean, it felt like love. There were moments when, well, there were moments when. And that's well, when Mary that's a, was. That's a good place to end this part one episode, and we're going to continue uh, with our next episode with uh, one of the. Uh, the architects of that sound, Ellie Greenwich. We certainly will, my friend. But we're gonna, that's our second part, and that will be coming up in the, uh, in this two-parter. Ellie Greenwich and uh, another Queens girl. And uh, I got Mary Weiss in my head, so I'm gonna have to sign off with you now because I don't wanna think too much more about Mary Weiss. It was a beautiful time, and the nostalgic, the nostalgic fog is beginning to enclose. <laughs> so we're going to sign off, and uh, we're going to see you next time on another episode of Dig This. Thank Dig you, my this. friend. 
Take care. Bye-bye. Maybe someday I'll have somebody's hand. Maybe somewhere someone will understand. You know, I used to sing a tisket, a tasket, green and yellow basket. I'm all packed up and I'm on my way and I'm going to fall in love.